we're launching new businesses all the time. And it's funny because I'm known as a marketer, which is nice. I mean, it, I am, yeah. right? That, that was kind of my first love. And I'm, you know, and I still see myself as a marketer, but by and large, I kind of play a marketer on TV, right? <laughs> we run companies, right? And when, and people ask me a question about, you know, you know, Google or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, it's like, man, my team doesn't even let me have a login to that stuff anymore. <laughs> Welcome to the Innovative Founder. The show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Innovative founder. We're excited to have you today. We have an ex- we're have we super excited about our guest today, Ryan Dice. But before we get into that, I know everyone is very curious about what's going on in the world of Bob and Brandon. So I'll go first. Sure, right? I'm sure they are. They are. They're, they're just waiting. <laughs> That's really why they... They, they sign up for this. Like you really only need to listen to the first five minutes of this Pretty podcast. Much. You know? Pretty much. You're welcome. I'm about to get on a road trip with my son and we are going to head to, we have a cabin and remote cabin in Northern Wisconsin. We're talking so remote. It doesn't have an, an address. It has an outhouse. It has no electrical power. Bob, I don't know if you've ever been in an experience like that in your life where, you know, there's, there's not rustic. by choice. Okay. Well, you know, some of us, Bob, are a little more feral than others. So, Yes, yeah, so we're going to our cabin. It's a, it's a few steps from Lake Superior, and uh, we're looking forward to getting some icy cold water. I think about fifty five degrees Lake Superior is this time of year, and getting some guy time and grilling and playing in the water. That's what that's what I got going on. Well, pretty much, I can count on when you do go up to your cabin. There's at least one or two shirtless picks that come back <laughs> to uh, our company Slack, and that's your contribution. <laughs> Usually it's after a couple shots of uh, Jack or whatever, yes. whatever you're tequila. on. Yes. Tequila, tequila right? Jack, other substances. You're, you're feeling yeah. you're feeling extremely feral and yeah. and burly and manly. And yes. yeah, you're walking around with, you know, just your shirt off and yeah. the hair's growing out. So, yeah, I, I really look forward to that. I know. Thank I just, you, Bob. It's good yeah. to know that you do. Thank you. And, and, I'm, and, I'm I, and I know Carla, our operations director, really appreciates that, too. Yes. Know? Carla loves that. <laughs> lots of eye rolling from Carla. I don't know what that's about, but but when I do send those, I see lots of eye rolling. Yeah, I mean, you know, Feral for me, Brandon, is is Holiday Inn Express that only has uh, continental breakfast, not hot breakfast available for guests. The parking situation is Ugh. usually kind of sketchy. I, I did I did have a uh, experience traveling to Austin, which is where our guest is from. Yeah, I, I, I w- we were going down there for a video shoot. And of course, we scheduled a video shoot during the biggest event that Austin has South by Southwest. So when you go to Austin during South by Southwest, there's this thing called the economy that kicks in. And this whole idea that you, we maybe learned in college called supply and demand. Right. So, about that. so when everybody's going to Austin, they're booking hotel rooms. So what do hotels do? No. They jack the price up. No, so, that never happens. So here we go. We, we're going to do a video shoot in Austin during South by Southwest. 
I get down there a day early because there is a snowstorm in Chicago, right? Like I need to get out before the airport shut down. So I get there a day early. And my only choice is to stay at a day's in days below, in below the expressway, oh, which God. of course shared a parking lot with a waffle house. Now <laughs> I'm not just like my paradise waffle house of America is just amazing. Well, what, I'd be relishing what in that. was alarming, Brandon, is I got <laughs> oh. in about 11 o'clock at night oh, and God. what I was greeted with was a parking lot with people sitting in their pickup trucks with coolers <laughs> full of beer, smoking all kinds of different things, blowing off fireworks. And and I do believe I saw a guy like showing his other another guy like brandishing his gun. And I think it was just kind of a thing. <laughs> But at three in the morning, when it was still loud, I was thinking to myself, if I die here tonight, and I remember sending a message to my wife and to you, if I don't answer in the morning, here's the room I'm in, make sure to have the police come and like fetch my body. So <laughs> that is my idea of, of going remote. Wow. And uh, that was quite an experience. I did wow. survive. Well, good. yeah, it's good. And it gave you. me a, and it gave me a really good story. It did. And it, and it's funny. Austin is, is a funny place. Austin, like their, their theme is like, keep Austin weird. Yeah. And so waiting for you and Carla to fly into the airport, I went to a coffee shop and I was surrounded by not one, not two, but three tables of individuals who were writing their screenplays. So I oh. had, I had three different tables of, of two and three people that were there collaborating on their screenplays. And I'm thought I'm thinking, I must be in Austin. Wow. So that's my story. That's um, beautiful. <laughs> but our I'm... guest today is from Austin. And uh, this, Tell is us somebody, about that. this is somebody I've known, I think, since 2004. You'll hear the story, but Ryan and I both joined Bill Glazer's Mastermind in 2004. And we have kind of a kind of a converging story there. But if you don't know Ryan and Dice, where the heck have you been? <laughs> Right. <laughs> You've heard of digitalmarketer.com. If you haven't, I'm surprised, but digitalmarketer.com is what he's most known for. He's the founder of that. Currently, he's the founder and CEO of the Scalable Company, and he works with six-figure businesses and turns them into eight-figure businesses, which is a really, really cool thing. But, um, you know, he's kind of this, he's in that venture equity accelerator space, and they look to acquire B2B media brands and software brands. And I think what you're going to hear today, Brandon, I think we 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 definitely heard the raw stories. Like we yes. promise that you're going to hear what it's really like to be Ryan Dice, to be somebody who like maybe everybody knows and has all this respect for. You're going to learn a little bit of the other side of what that looks like. These are the type of people, Brandon, I like to know. Yes. These are the type of people that are really honest about what happens behind the scenes. You know, there's a huge romanticized uh, effort a lot of times on the entrepreneur journey, especially, you know, when we were cutting our teeth in the internet marketing industry as it was growing and, and changing. I think there's just, there's a lot of romance around entrepreneurship. And what I appreciate about the interview today is how uh, Ryan is just, just painfully honest about surfing this world, especially yeah. his world. And he, and he's done really well. He's done fantastic, but he, he has some painful admissions about, you know, mistakes that he made. And also, you, you know, it's it's a different Ryan than than I have heard on stage maybe ten years ago. It's a Ryan yeah. that's been seasoned. It's a Ryan that's there's maturity, there's humility. Not that he wasn't humble, but you could just tell there's seasoning from that what he's had to learn and relearn in, in his businesses. So, yeah, uh, this really this appreciate was, it. 
this was an amazing conversation. You know, I've, I've said I've known Ryan a while. I haven't heard all these stories, but I, we, we promise you raw on the show and there's some really good raw stuff. And I think you're absolutely going to enjoy it. So uh, without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Mr. Ryan Dice. All right. We are hyped for today's show. Welcome back to the Innovative Founder. We so have so much hype. <laughs> so much hype. So much hype. So we have Ryan Dice on today. So a lot of you have probably heard of Ryan. Ryan, like, you know, you're you're the guy that stands in front of all the other internet marketers and, you know, inspires them and, and moves them and all that stuff. And I know you're such a humble guy that you would never brag on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> never. <laughs> never. No, it's good. It's good to have you. Ryan and I both kind of, I, I shared this story before, Ryan, of like, I, I remember you remember being at that Dan Kennedy conference, right? When Bill started his mastermind. Oh God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like I, when Bill announced he was gonna have a mastermind, like I signed up for that thing and I had no really ability to pay for it or the, like the gumption for me to even sign up for it at that point was like, yeah, whatever. I know you kind of had, you had kind of had, you were making a little bit of money, but I think you kind of had similar, like, oh my goodness, like, what am I doing here? Right. Tell us a little oh bit my about God. that. Yeah, yeah. There's no way I could afford it. So, and 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 really funny. So, I I remember right. It was in Baltimore, wasn't it? That's when the, first, Baltimore, okay. the first meeting was in Baltimore. I remember that. Yeah. So it was in you know so so it was in Baltimore, and I remember getting on the plane and and not feeling that great, right? And and landing and being like. I'm not feeling so, I'm not feeling so good. Feeling starting to feel a little warm. Went and checked into the hotel, went to the room, like went to bed early, like didn't go. And I'm pretty introverted anyway. So it's not like I was yeah. just angling to go talk to strangers and have them wear my skin. But <laughs> but yeah, I went straight to bed and and woke up the next morning and just was running just a brutal fever. And I was like, oh. you know what? I've spent a lot of money to be here and on this event that I really didn't have. I'm going to go to this event. And I went and sat through the very first session was like, I can't, I'm, I'm done. And so I went back up to the room, went to sleep, slept the entire time, came down, took a bunch of meds at one point and, you know, probably just spreading the flu to everybody. Right. <laughs> you know? And so I was like a super spreader before super spreaders were cool. Right. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. But, but went down there and was like, I don't know what Bill's selling, but I'm buying uh, because I know I need to do this. And I, I went back and and they were like, well, he's got this master. And I was like, great. I'm in. I signed the application to handed it in didn't know the price, but keep in mind, I thought that all these things that people were selling were like a thousand, two grand. Yeah. I remember getting, getting on that call with Bill and it was like 15 grand, which now for a mastermind, like what we had there. So cheap. I mean, oh, like, a, yeah. A, oh my God. I mean, just a bargain at, at 10 times the price, but, but I remember calling and telling me the price and, and I wanted to just write them there. I, I can't, you know, yeah. I can't, I can't afford it. And, but I was I, really, I was a little bit embarrassed to say that if I'm being honest. So there was a lot yeah. of ego, but I also knew, I, I knew I was hosed. I didn't know what I was doing and I was really, really scared. And I knew this was probably the only shot that I had. And you could argue it was a risky investment. It was, yeah. it was easily one of the top, top five best investments I've ever made in my life. Yeah. And, and I shared Ryan, it was like, for me, it was a seminal moment. Like, I knew I needed to do it. And I remember telling Arlene, like, hey, I just committed to a mastermind that's like a thousand dollars a month. And like <laughs> I have barely enough revenue to cover that, but I have to be at this place. So yeah, I mean, you you had you had you were in a similar situation. And I know your wife's very supportive too. We're gonna talk about her in a little bit, but it was like, yeah, you gotta you gotta do this, even though like you're scared and there's a lot of resistance, right? 
Yeah, I didn't tell my wife. So you're a better person than I. <laughs> I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her at all. She was like, who's that call with? I was like, just a friend. Just um, a friend. <laughs> yeah, just some guy. We'll um, go hang out. Yeah. I'm going to be hanging out a couple years, a couple times a year in Baltimore. I hope that's okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I truly, I, I was like, yeah, I joined this group. I didn't, she didn't ask the price. I didn't tell her. And, and I believe in the time I had just, so I remember my first number. Like, I don't know if you're, my, my very first number was 6,000 a month was like the first number that I wanted to hit. It was six grand a month okay. um, because I had done the math and I realized that if I make $6,000, that's it. Like I'm good. That'll cover all the expenses. Now mm. I didn't know how taxes work. I had no clue. Taxes. And it turns out that just because, cause I'd never had a real job. Right. And so it turns out that just because you earn 6,000 doesn't mean you get to keep it all. Right. Wait, what? And so what I realized <laughs> Hang pretty on. quickly is that slow down right? <laughs> roads and stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Whatever. But but so I, so I realized after a couple of months and, and I thankfully, one of my best friends was like, he, he was, he was an accountant. He's like, Hey, you're setting aside money for taxes, right? I'm like, definitely not. So he told me <laughs> that I needed to and how much it was. I was like, Whoa. Okay. So the number is really more like 10 grand. Okay. Maybe I can get away with like eight grand, but no, I'm going to go for 10 grand. So 10 grand became my number. Like the, my very first, like after the six, realizing that was wrong for a few months, 10 grand was my number. And I remember the month before I went to that event, I hit 10 grand in, in revenue and, and basically, you know, it was just me at the company team of one. So that was all mine. And so I was like, I made it, I did it. That's it. And so I, I came with a sense of confidence, but by the time, you know, applied a couple of weeks go by the next month, I'm like, got like four grand, you know, up on uh, the board, like at the end it fell back off. Cause I did a bunch of things the month to hit my number started back over again at zero. And what do you know? I was missing it. So yeah, I'm having this call committing to an amount of money that was more, you know, a month and a half, two months worth by the time you factor in travel and hotels. Sure. And one of the worst months that, that I'd had. And so, yeah, it was a terrifying thing, but I, I knew that I, I need to do this because it, it was an aspect. There's some things I think you need to do just to plant a flag and say, this is who I am. Yeah. This is my new identity. Mm. And uh, it's a risky thing to do. It maybe speaks to some level of brokenness and imposter syndrome that exists mm. within me. Mm. But there you have it. It worked. Wow. I'll take it. Appreciate that. Appreciate you that. So, Ryan, your, your question for you. In your experience, and I've heard you tell Napkin's story. I've heard different stories you, you've shared over the years that are they're just inspiring. Looking back on that, being someone who's kind of helped shape the, the, the landscape of marketing, internet marketing over the years and, and different levels of expert come and go, what would your approach to be today? What would your input be today for someone looking to get started? Because again, you're kind of one of the original OGs, I would say. You're back there when things were just getting off the ground, the Dan Kennedy years. Today, what's, what's your, what's your, would be your approach for someone in your, new coming to the space? Where would you start? Just curious. Yeah, I'll tell you, it'd be a totally different spot because the world's changed. Yeah. I mean, that's just the reality. When I first got started online, when I made my first sale, it was in 1999. I mean, come on. Yeah. Google was a science fair project, yeah. Yeah. right? I mean, I was a couple of years into my career before, you know, before goto.com, which yeah. became Overture, which was the early seeds of this thing called, you know, Google AdWords, which is now Google Ads. Right. Yep. I was optimizing for Alta Vista and Dogpile. I mean, come <laughs> on. Right. Wow. The, it, it changed. Like I benefited early on from being early, from being yeah. kind of the cream of the crap. 
And the only thing that I combined (laughs) was I knew enough. I was able to, the technology was, was early enough and simple enough that I could figure it out. And I combined that with coming across this guy, Dan Kennedy, who incidentally, the only reason I came across Dan Kennedy is because the job that I had in college was working for a financial advisor and he subscribed to Dan's newsletter. Wow. So it's not like I just found this, like you're talking about some pretty significant dumb luck going yeah. on here, right? Like, let's just be totally yeah. honest. Yeah. You know, now I showed up, I took advantage of it. I can't tell you how many people have worked for me over the years who never even logged in to access content that they had the logins for. Like I had to ask my boss, like, Hey, when you're done with that newsletter, can I read it? And I actually read it and applied it to his stuff and, you know, to mine. But the combination of those two things, understanding the media, understanding the medium, right? Which in that case was the internet, but the internet was, had multiple media within it, whether it was email or SEO or ads. I understood the media, which is amplification, right? Yeah. And then over here, I'm learning how to craft a message, right? And if you think, what is marketing? Marketing is two things. Marketing is messaging and marketing is amplification. Mm. Advertising is, you know, a lot, oftentimes advertising is just kind of the amplification part, the way that a lot of people think about it today. Not the way it used to be, incidentally, but marketing, the way I see it is, it is in its simplest form, it is messaging, it is amplification. And so I would go back to that. One thing that hasn't changed is how to craft a message. That hasn't changed. Humans haven't changed. And so the way that we craft messages and the way that we, you know, speak to somebody's, you know, felt need, desired end result, that hasn't changed. That is as pure as can be. And learning that from people like Dan Kennedy, people like David Ogilvy, learn it from the greats and the people who did this pre-internet. Because the stuff they teach on copywriting is way better than anything I've ever taught. I'll tell you that. Now, the only other piece is, okay, how do we amplify this today? And that has gotten so much more complicated and, and, uh, and it's gotten just frankly more difficult. Yeah. And so what I would do if I were starting today is I would first figure out who's my who, who am I talking to, who am I serving? What is their specific problem? This is pretty basic level stuff, but anytime I find that I'm, and I forget this all the time, I will come up with a product idea, something that I think <laughs> is cool. Yeah. And I will never circle back around and say, what's the customer case for this? Like the okay. business cases, I think it's fun and cool. And I think I can make some money from it, but I never identify the, the, the customer case, which is simply put, what's the problem this solves, right? If I can't articulate that really, really quickly and easily. So I know my who, I know the problem. Now, where do they hang out? And what I'm going to figure out added, what I'm going to do early on before I look to automate anything, create a product, I'm going to personally engage with that audience in the channels where they are. I'm going to add value any way that I can. And I'm going to offer to do work for free if it's B2B. And if it's B2C, then I'm going to ask people to try, you know, basically to try my product, to sample it for free, to give me feedback. And I'm going to do that until I have at least 10 people who, when asked what is essentially just the net promoter score question, hey, on a scale of one to 10, how likely would you be to refer this to someone else? When I got 10 nines or tens, then I know we're ready to actually you yeah. know, market this dang thing. I'm going to start high with my product, work my way down because the whole challenge in marketing today is being able 
to afford to spend what it costs to acquire. You only mm -hmm. do that if it's high. So that's the basic thing. What, who's the customer? What problem am I solving? Do, I what, a, do free I a, work. I had a coaching client last year, Ryan, who had a pretty cool e-commerce product. It was marketing to moms, but it was a product for babies. And I, I knew she was in love with this product and she couldn't get any sales online. And I said, well, have you actually sold any? And she said, no. I said, all right, here's what you're going to do. I said, you're going to go down to that farmer's market that your town has locally. You're going to put the product out and you're going to talk to moms. With moms walking by with a stroller, I want you to stop them. I want you to talk about your product and get that feedback. And I don't know if she did it, but she was very resistant to it. And my advice to her was like, you have to know if this thing is going to be sold. Like you love this product. You think people need it, but until they vote with their dollars, like you don't know, like you're wasting so much money on coaching and advertising, like figure out if what you got, something is like, do people actually want the thing? Like, mm -hmm. can I tell you a story? Yeah, about, about this. Please. So I, so we're launching new businesses all the time. And it's funny because I'm known as a marketer, which is nice. I mean, it, I am yeah. right. That, that was kind of my first love. And I'm, you know, and I still see myself as a marketer, but by and large, I kind of play a marketer on TV. <laughs> right. We run companies. Right. And when, and people ask me a question about, you know, you know, Google or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, it's like, man, they, my team doesn't even let me have a login to that stuff. And so, <laughs> so what I'm, what I'm doing though, is we're always launching and scaling businesses. And what I have found is that because I now have, you know, launched and scaled half a dozen or so companies to eight figures had solid exits. I, I, I like to think that I can skip steps. And in the last year, I did this with two different businesses, had an idea. We were kind of launching it from within some existing businesses that we had. So one of the companies that we launched spin off from digital marketer called the scalable company. Yeah. And it's talking directly to entrepreneurs. Well, so what's the first thing I did? I decided what the main offering would be. I hired a team, right? Gave it, you know, 40 or $50,000 a month in ad budget, and then proceeded over the course of about six to eight months to lose about a million dollars. Why? Because I decided that I got to leapfrog straight into an established business. Because mm -hmm. I'm Brian Dice, damn it. Damn because, it. Yeah, because you're welcome. I'm here, right? Ryan Here's Effing the utter Dice. stupidity of it. Here's the utter stupidity and uh, like painful irony mm. of, of why what I did was so dumb. The overarching flagship concept framework that we teach at the Scalable Company is the seven levels of scale. Level one, sell and serve 10. Level mm. two, now you can build a growth flywheel to automate the sales. Level three is when you can actually create an operating system and operationalize your business. Don't do it too soon. You're going to bureaucratize or at best automate turds. Okay. <laughs> we don't want to do that. <laughs> On one hand, I'm teaching this stuff to, you know, to business owners. Here's what you do. Here's what it looks like to scale, not taking my own advice. And what do you know? Mm. It, it didn't work. I had to go all the way back to the beginning, which sadly meant that I had to ask some really good, talented people to pursue opportunities elsewhere because I didn't need the skills that they brought yet. Wow. I needed to get out mm -hmm. there and talk to my customer. I needed to do sales calls, which I've been doing incidentally all week for the last couple of weeks. I needed to do new customer onboarding. Like I had to do all of that stuff. And it, I was two or three sales calls in before I realized I'm literally selling something that nobody wants. Wow. They need it. And wow. once we're on the other side of it, they definitely crave it, but this is not what they want. And it took me you know, about 12 months to figure that out. Could have figured it out in the first two weeks. I decided I got to skip steps. You don't, nobody does. 
Hey, everybody. I really hope you're enjoying this interview today with Ryan Dice. I know I am. Uh, I so much enjoy to hear about someone's evolution and the story behind it. If you haven't checked it out, Ryan is the owner of digitalmarketer.com, the founder of it. I am a member. I love it. It's one of my favorite resources that I recommend to people. What Ryan has done with Digital Marketer, he's taking marketing processes and breaking it down to the 80-20 of it. Simplification, ease, short lessons and tutorials around how to get things done. He takes the complex, he makes it simple, and it's a phenomenal, affordable resource for anyone in the marketing space. So I want to encourage you to go there. Thanks for coming out to the show today. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. So how, how new is Scalable? Like, tell us, tell us a little bit about this. I'm a, this is what you're most excited about right now? Yeah, this is kind of my baby right now. I mean, so back in 2018, we, so, and you know this, Bob, like I've always had a number of different companies. So my, my business has always been an overarching holding company. And we yep. have a number of different businesses yep. under that. So digitalmarketer.com, which I'm most known for, Digital Marketer was started because we had to figure out how do we teach marketing to all of our different portfolio companies, like to market oh, okay. our portfolio. And that was yep. where it began. Yep. Oh, really? Um, learning it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It was I'm like, a member, been a member for a while, still waiting for my Rolex for being a longtime member, but thank you. You know, like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll get you. That, that is in yeah. the mail. But that was so it was always this kind of byproduct of the quote unquote real businesses that I was running. And it wasn't until, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but our, our main kind of flagship event, Traffic and Conversion Summit, which is 12 years old, Digital Marketer was launched the third year of Traffic and Conversion Summit because we just mm. did teens. We just did this event because we're like, let's do an event. This yeah. will be fun. Yeah. Did it again, did it again. And in the third year, looking out a room full of 800 something people, I'm thinking, this is a thing. We should maybe treat this like a business. And that was when we decided to form Digital Marketer as a company, as a brand, you know, realized early on, like, let's, you know, shift into certifications because we're talking to marketers, not just entrepreneurs. And so that's what I'm kind of most known for. But most of our businesses were consumer media and, and e-commerce. And then we had some other software things and stuff like that. But really the, the bulk of the portfolio was in that side. So in 2018, we began exiting some of these. It, we'd been out, we'd owned them for a long time. The market was good. You know, we began exiting a bunch of them and also wound up in 2018 selling traffic and conversion summit, a, a majority stake to a to a large, you know, second largest event management company in the world, which is a really good time to sell. You want to sell an event <laughs> before a pandemic. Before uh, incidentally, pandemic. It's, it, we still no we did. still, you know, own own a stake in it. We still do all the programming for it. So everybody should still come to TNC. That's my plug, even though if you buy a ticket, I'll get like a steak dinner or something. But so anyway, we were sitting there at the end of and and all this kind of the the sales that occurred happened over 2018 and 2019. All right. And so by the end of 2019, we had exited most of our holdings and all we were really left with was digital marketer. Right. Hmm. And so I'm thinking, cool. We got digital marketer, love digital marketer, love the platform, love the work that we're doing. Let's have more digital marketers. Like let, let's kind of have what we're doing with digital marketer. Let, let's do it in some of these other B2B industries. So I was kind of over consumer, frankly, let, let's go, let's go B2B. And mostly who I wanted to talk to were entrepreneurs. Cause when we launched digital marketer, I was talking to people like me who were starting businesses online or moving businesses online. Yeah. Digital marketer has moved into talking to career marketers, right? Mm. Cause yeah. Marketing has become a profession. Yeah. Right. Used to be, you said, told people you did internet marketing or digital marketing thought you sold on eBay. 
right? right. Yep. Now it's like a now it's just marketing. And so we were no longer talking to entrepreneurs. And that's my peeps, right? And so yeah. like let's start a brand, but I didn't want to deal with startups. So let's start a brand that's about helping, you know, high six and seven figure folks scale, you know, scale to eight. And so that's scalable. And the plan was to launch that as kind of the flagship brand. Digital marketer would be kind of under it. So scalable is the new holding company. Digital market be under it. We do a digital marketer for sales, leadership, build out this new portfolio in the B2B space. And so the 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 final end of the year all hands meeting that I do in 2019, I lay out this vision for this is what 2020 we're we're we're, <laughs> we're officially the scalable company. And 2020 is our year. This is year one. And well, 2020 had other ideas. So long-winded way of answering your question, technically formed. In, in 2019, we sort of pumped the brakes in 2020, you know, fiddled with it a little bit. But if I'm being completely candid, 2020 was a lot about like, let's make sure that we survive and, yes. and can keep this thing going. I, I I probably panicked more than I should have, a lot more than I should have, because 2020 wound up being a fantastic year for yeah. digital products. Go figure. But yeah. I never allowed myself to enjoy it. It's like I got done with the year. I was like, that was actually a really good year. So we didn't <laughs> launch anything new. Yeah. And so... Scalable's basically been around since since 2021 was when we officially launched. We actually launched Scalable the brand at the virtual traffic and conversion summit in December of 2020. Launched it to our list in 2021, then proceeded to screw the entire thing up by not <laughs> taking my own advice for all of 2021 and a significant chunk of 2022. Oh no. I mean, it sucks, Ryan. Like I, I hear, even... hear you, but it's it, it's got to be encouraging to people. Like it, it, we do this, right? Like we think we know it all, and like okay, we we've got this experience, and like yeah, we can skip steps, right? But yeah. you know, here's somebody that I mean, you've influenced hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and you don't take your own advice, and the universe slaps you on the ass, says nope, <laughs> got to do it yeah. the right way. So it sucks for you, but it's, it should be encouraging to people who are listening. Like Ryan screwed up. I, I, it's okay. To I think up. honestly, it, this wasn't the plan, obviously, but I think it's a lesson I needed to learn so that I could be most valuable to our hmm. customers and clients now. I think when I was coming at it, I was approaching it a little bit more from, hey, you're welcome. I've now decided to kind of come back and I'm talking about it. And so you should come because I'm basically God's gift to business. I, I never said that. And, and right. I hope I never acted that way. But I certainly made decisions as though that was the reality. And, mm. and I think now it's a lot easier for me to see what businesses need to do. Having gone back and repeated some of those same mistakes, I don't like that that's how I had to learn. I wish I could just you know, learn from <laughs> my own advice because I right. know it works. But you know, they say a prophet's never welcome in his own hometown. I'm not welcome in my own pants. So I don't know. It, it just, it doesn't. Yeah. So uh, I, I hope it makes me, I don't know if it makes me more credible, but I do think it makes me more valuable and accurate. Well, I think it's interesting, Ryan, that and it's very, very good to hear because, you know, shocking, even back, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there's a lot of people are selling ease and speed when it comes to building a marketing business or, or marketing in line or internet market, whatever you want to call it. And I think there's still, there's still, of course, people out there that are still selling ease, speed, blueprints, you know, sitting on the beach and, and that stuff just gets kind of seeps into the psyche and, and you wonder, well, what if, is it really easier? 
And it's what I'm hearing from you. It sounds like, no, there really is no skipping of steps. And if you do, you know, don't make a very expensive mistake like I did, even someone who's a veteran in this space. And I really like the fact that you're encouraging people to get out there and do the groundwork. The fact that you are doing your sales calls, you're doing your own customer service. When you have staff that could easily do that, I appreciate you staying in touch with your customer. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, let's be clear. It didn't. It's not like I did this from a from a place of like I know this is the right thing to do. I did it after you know fourteen, fifteen months of doing it the wrong way, and 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 seeing the results and paying the price. And look, it sucks to lose all that money. It really does. I, I don't. I don't like losing money, especially when it was my fault. Uh, and I've got business partners, you know, and and I had to go to them and be like, hey. Because because we in our partnership, so Roland Frazier, a lot of folks will know, and and you know Richard Lindner, who's kind of the operating partner. We have different responsibilities over different portfolio companies, and you know mine in underperformed. And so I had to go to them and be like, it underperformed because you know I screwed this up. So so I, I'd like to say that I approached it this whole time with a sense of humility, but I was humbled and and had to just go back and do it due to a lack of options, and it sucked. To be humbled, it sucked suck to lose the money. But I had to look good people in the face and say, there's no longer a place for you here because of the work that I hired you to do, that's actually my job. Mm. And so I can't pay you anymore. Now, again, in this job market, every single one of these people left. I mean, we gave them a really nice separation package. All of them had jobs within about 36 and a half seconds and they're doing great, right? And, you know, talk to them and so it's good, but, but it really does, it really does suck. And if I can just remember that, that yes, this is what it is. And look, it's not easy. And it's why I like, you know, at Scalable, we don't talk to startups. We don't really talk to entrepreneurs. Mm. Plenty of people who are in the startup phase find us and learn from us and that's great. But the reason I don't want to talk to people who are in the startup entrepreneurial phase is because all they're hearing is how easy it is and the freedom and this and this and that. It's really hard to have my message resonate with somebody who's there. My message is only going to resonate with somebody who knows that's a lie because they've lived it, right? So they've got to get on the other side of the bolt, you know, of the BS to know that when I go to them and, and basically say, you know, hey, isn't it kind of weird that even though your company's generating more revenue than ever, you're personally making less? That's weird, mm -hmm. right? That kind of sucks. Isn't it weird that you hired all these people because they were supposed to make your life easier and take all this work off your shoulders and you're actually working more and generating less? Like, why is that? You know, and the right person goes, yeah, I'm absolutely feeling that because that is the entrepreneurial experience. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, I, I hope that it is an encouragement to people to know that like, this is the path so that if you're, if it's tough, that means you're doing it right. But I don't know how much of a cautionary tale it's going to be, or I don't know how many people are going to believe me on the front end because yeah. I didn't believe me on the front end. So I don't fault the people that don't. I just hope that when they discover that I'm right, that it doesn't bust them out. Mm -hmm. I love it. This has a flavor of myth busters because I think that there's, there's so much competing misinformation out there and I appreciate you appreciate your candor and your humility, just talking about it and the, you know, the real behind the scenes, the grit, the, you know, what it, what it really looks like. Yeah. So Ryan, let's, let's change gears. Mention your wife, who's awesome. I had a chance to meet her a number of years ago. And so tell us how like meeting Emily for the first time and, and, and entrepreneurship intersected. Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't, it's not like I was born an entrepreneur. It's not like I, I wasn't raised in an entrepreneurial family. I didn't even know 
I, I probably didn't even know that word existed. I, I wasn't one of these people who, who just was driven and knew exactly what I wanted to be. You know, when, when I grew up, I mean, I went to college cause that's what you were supposed to do. I started like liberal arts undeclared cause I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> you know, I was just kind of, I got a job cause I needed food. I mean, there was no real <laughs> particular, there was no real particular direction, but yeah, my, my freshman year of college, I met a girl and uh, you know, it's not like I, I set out to get, you know, married or meet my wife early on. Again, I wasn't thinking about any of this stuff, not that right. intentional, but I knew within a couple of weeks, like this is probably the one woman I'm going to marry. I didn't tell her that. Cause I really realized how creepy that sounds. You scare, um, scare them off. <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah, I didn't, I did not, I didn't say that within like the first probably year of us dating, but I knew in the back of my mind that, okay, this is, this is a thing. And I need to kind of start, start thinking like, how am I going to pay for things like diamond rings? And what I knew is I was poor. Okay. I knew I didn't have any money. I knew that. And what I also knew is that I had a job. And the job, so I was, I was a full-time student. I had a part-time job and the job just basically helped to cover my living expenses because it's not like I came from a wealthy family. So I had to, I had to pay through college and stuff like that. So if I was going to make more money over and above that, my only option, it seemed was to start a business. And thankfully for me, the internet was new. I had high speed internet in my dorm room. And so I was like, you know, you think about what was going on with the dot com yeah. boom in 1999. High, high speed. Like, so that was like a 288 modem. What are we talking here? We're we talking. Yeah, 14, yeah I think 4? it was probably DSL, to be honest, because yeah, it was a university. Yeah, one meg. Right. Yeah, oh, we we're crushing it. But you didn't have to hear the. We don't, we don't. Yep. But uh, the kids don't know what we're talking about. Anyway, yeah, they have no clue. Yeah. So, so it, yeah, for me, it was, this is the best, this is the only option I can come up with. Like, let me see if I can sell some things on the internet. And one thing that I will say, I, I'm always very quick to identify what is a very specific goal that I have, right? What's a specific goal and what's the shortest path between here and there. And this is just how my brain worked. I met this girl, probably the woman I'm going to marry. Again, side note, don't tell her that's freaking weird, but <laughs> it's, you know, it's only week two. Yeah. Act as though it might happen, right? If I were to, to get married, I would first have to ask. If I were to ask, I would need to have a ring. How much are rings? Doing some, as we said, Alta vista because Google wasn't really a thing back then. <laughs> and discovering like, okay, rings are about like 10 grand. That's a lot. I don't have 10 grand. I need 10 grand. What's the best way for me to get 10 grand? And it was truly like, Okay. I mean, I guess, can I get a couple thousand people to give me 50 bucks? Couple, And for me, it was just how many people get 50? What about 500? What about this? And, uh, and so that was my whole, that was my whole what did you sell backwards. What my did you very sell? first, yeah. My very first product was an ebook on how to make your own baby food. So I also had a That's side right. business. I saw yeah. that in the notes. Lactation. I also had a side business. I was doing website design, even though I didn't know how to do website design, but I had a Adobe, you know, I had Adobe go live yes. uh, and uh, my only client was actually a lactation consultant, which again, now having four kids, like love lactation consultants as a 19 year old, it was a bit weird yeah. to build a website for a lactation consultant. <laughs> so um, what do you but do? She wasn't, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's like, you know, breast pumps and all this other stuff. My, yeah. my roommate was like, Hey man, are you okay? Hey, I thought I was doing some weird porn or something. But hey man, what are you? But yeah, into? so very specific. Exactly. It was an awkward conversation. Like, no, it's a client. I promise. But <laughs> but yeah. So you know, as as we all remember, the dot com the dot com boom turned into the dot com bust almost as quickly. Yeah. Uh, her husband was in was in tech, and he lost his his job. And so she said, "Hey, I'm really sorry." I'm not going to be able to pay you for the website and I'm not going to use it anyway. Cause I've got to go back to work. Cause my husband lost his job, mm. but 
I was working on this book on how to make your own, you know, baby food to kind of help my clients after they had weaned, you can just have it. And I remember thinking, this is utterly worthless to me right now. But I was like, thank <laughs> but knowing what I knew, I was like, okay, obviously, you know, she had clients. She thinks that they would want this. I bet there's other people on the internet out there in the world who would want it as well. And so I did some research, found that, yeah, there actually are a decent number of searches. There's really nothing that, that comes up that's very good telling you how to do it. And so I convert, I, I, I had some help, some people finish the book, formatted up, converted into a PDF, built a one page website, got a PayPal account in the early days of PayPal, mm. charged $14 for it. Cause that's what books sold for later on. People told me that I couldn't sell any book for $14. I was like, I've definitely sold tens of thousands, but thanks. And, and yeah, that was my, that was my first one. I remember posting it up and a couple of days later, I made my first sale the next day I made two. And I remember doing, doing the math and saying, you know, this, this should be making around, you know, four or $500 a month when it, when it gets going. And, uh, and so I was like 500 a month, I, didn't, I, I should be good. But what if I had two, what if I had three? And that's kind of what began mm -hmm. that journey. But all I wanted to begin with was how do I just make $10,000 so that I can buy this woman a ring. And even when I graduated, right? So my senior year, I'm making six figures selling stuff online but didn't think about this as being a, you know, didn't think about this as being like a, you know, a, a real thing. Sure. you got and, the liberal uh, arts degree in hand. Right. Like you're you're one ready to march into that marketplace with that degree. Bingo. Well, yeah. I, yeah. And, and so I'd been interning again at this financial services company and I, they agreed to hire me when I graduated. And so I actually remember going and talking to my future father-in-law being like, I would like your permission to, you know, ask your daughter to marry me. And he's like, well, how are you going to support her? I was like, and I wasn't going to say, well, I got these websites on the internet. <laughs> I'm and, into and lactation. So, I'm into lactation yeah, eBooks. Exactly. Here, read my book. So, yeah. And by the way, if you're wondering like, wait, you said that your number before was 10 grand. And yet, you know, when you joined like our first conversation, I went from like a hundred grand my senior year to, to working for six weeks quitting the job, going full time, and then promptly my income basically falling off a cliff, which is a different story. <laughs> so kind of battle back. So question for you, Ryan. So if, we're, if, we're, if we stay in this, this theme a little bit above myth, myth busters, we like to kind of compare the show to, you know, popular themes around stories that you can find on Netflix and others. So if we go down the myth buster list, I noticed something that came up here that one of the biggest myths that, 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 has been proponent is that the money is in the list and you, you have some different opinions about, tell us about that. What have, what's been your experience with that? Cause that's been something repeated over and over again. So apparently people think it's true. What's been your experience and why do you think that's a myth? Yeah. I mean, it's like a lot of the, the, the good kind of pithy fortune cookie ideas. It's true, but incredibly limited. And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's accurate, but inadequate. And so, you know, is the money in the list? Sure. The money is in an engaged list though. And so I have personally built very large email lists, uh, millions and millions of subscribers that we would send emails to, and they would get like nine clicks, right? I've had very small email lists that we would send email to, and basically everybody would click. And so I tell people when it comes to the clearest definition of is the money in your list, it's, it's this, it's very, very, very simple. When an email arrives in somebody's inbox and they see the from name. People say they're like, oh, the subject line is what's going to drive open rate. It's the from name. Okay. Uh -huh. When somebody sees that from name, 
Are they happy, annoyed, or generally ambivalent? Now, the vast majority of the time, they're going to be generally ambivalent. That's okay, right? At least they don't feel negatively. Like that's generally okay. Maybe the subject line gets them. If they see it and they're like, this person, blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing. They don't unsubscribe most of the time. That's harder than just archive or delete. And when that happens, and this happens at scale, all the ISPs know you're sending out information that nobody wants to open. You're sending out Mm -hmm. stuff that nobody cares about. And so what that means is that less people are going to see it. More of your stuff's going to get sent to spam. So the name of the game, if you want the money to be in the list, it's actually not the money's in the relationship. The money's in the brand. And I don't define brand as a logo. I define brand as the feeling somebody feels when they see your brand's name in their inbox. And if it's a positive one, then yep, there's going to be lots of money in that list. If it's a negative one, there's going to be a lot less. And by a lot less, I mean none. Hmm. I love that. I love that. Hey, we have been having a great time talking with Mr. Ryan Dice. You know him from digitalmarketer.com, but more recently, he's the founder and CEO of The Scalable Company. You can find him at scalable.co. And what they're working with are six-figure companies that need to scale or want to scale to seven and eight figures. Really interesting project. You've probably heard a little bit and you're gonna hear a little bit more in this interview about some of the things that they're doing with scalable.co. So head over there if you are currently or know somebody who is a six-figure company that wants to grow that's going to be your best resource scalable.co you're listening to the innovative founder now back to your hosts bob rickneris and brendan boyd such a beautiful shift because it's, it's you know so for so many years you know we 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 saw people refer to their customers as lists and it was a very depersonal depersonalizing approach so it's refreshing to, that resonance is important and 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 a very simple but true acid test is, am I excited to hear from this person or am I not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. Let's, let's do another little shift. If you think of your business and your business businesses, again, as a storyline is something that would be on Netflix. Maybe it's the office. Maybe it's, it's, it's something along that lines. Do you have a story for us? And I'll give you a couple options here. Is there just a hilarious story, like something completely out of the blue, or is there something maybe perhaps mystical, weird, unexplainable. I'm going just thinking of themes of different storylines. Is there something that happened? I know years ago, Dan Kennedy talked about the phenomenon and he kind of piggybacked off of the secret. And he used that in a lot of his, in his promotion work. Do you have any real life phenomenon that's happened in your business that was just kind of unexplainable and kind of, wow, that was kind of beyond your scope of, wow, it happened because of this. Anything like that? Yeah. I mean, one, the one that immediately pops into my, and look, I've had unexplainable stuff happen quite a few times over my career, many that, that probably I can't remember. And that's a good thing, but one in particular that, that I'll never forget. I mean, I, I made the mistake, uh, you know, uh, a little over a decade ago of kind of deciding that I no longer, I didn't really have what it took to lead my business at the next level, mm. right? The business had grown to a point. I didn't know what I was doing. And I didn't believe that I could, could bridge the gap. And, and so I fired myself and I brought somebody in from the outside to run the company. And it was one of the biggest mistakes I've, that I've ever made in my, in, in my career. And look, there's nothing wrong with firing yourself from your own business and, and having somebody step away. I mean, I've done it a number of times, as long as you're doing it on your terms and on a good day, right? Doing it because you've decided that you're unworthy, that's when things can go really bad. And I've seen this happen so many times with entrepreneurs. It's one of the big kind of rallying cries that we have at Scalable Company. 
is, you know, you're not broken. Your business isn't broken. You just need a different playbook, right? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm broken. I need to get out of the way. It was untrue. So we brought this person in and this person brought essentially a culture, brought a way of doing things that didn't align with the values, which I know now that you have to know what your values are to do that. Frankly, didn't understand our business, even how it worked. And over the course of about you know, six or seven months, ran off all of the really good people, promoted all of the politicians that were kind of loyal to this person and proceeded to drive our sales in the ground and our profitability from frankly profitable to, to negative. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until Richard, my, my now co-founder came to me and said, Hey man, I'm out. Like I'm done. And this is a guy that was like, ride or die. And I was like, okay, this is bad. Mm. Why? And I got the backstory. I had so abdicated responsibility that I didn't even see what was happening at the business, even though it was obvious. Had I looked at anything, it would have been really, really obvious. That was kind of the wake up call. Went in, let this person know that appreciated all the help, but they could now pursue opportunities elsewhere and step back into the business. And uh, I did it now. I still didn't feel like I knew what I was doing, but I was my best worst option. And I'll never forget walking into what was my old office, what had been this new CEO's office. Cause I vacated the office, like I'm out. And I remember picking up stuff around the office and like picking up some files and, and finding envelopes and pulling up like, Oh my God, these are bills. And, and then literally picking up the person's keyboard and there were unpaid bills under the keyboard. And I thought we had, you know, forty, fifty thousand dollars in the bank account, which was not enough. You know, mm. we would normally maintain at least six months opac in cash at any given time. This was less than one, right? Was what we had in there at, at that point in time. And I went and lifted all the other stuff up and realized we've got about sixty, seventy thousand dollars of unpaid bills here. And so I'm actually completely broke. Mm. And I remember going home that night and waking up the next morning and having a conversation with my team and saying like, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm just gonna have to let everybody know that, that, uh, that I'm, I'm gonna have to fire them. Cause basically I can afford to make one more payroll and everything else I'm going to have to pay out of my own savings. And so I was, and, and my finance guy said, don't do it. Not yet. Like, like at least sleep on it. Mm-hmm. And so I slept on it, came in the next morning, still like, I am going to do this cause I don't have any other option. And I remember walking into the door and he, he came out of his office. Like, so when I walked in, his office was across, you know, across the way. And I saw him get up and walk towards me and basically meet me at the door. And he said, don't do it. Don't do it. I was like, man, we have to. He's like, no, don't. Overnight, we had a merchant reserve release for $80,000. Mm. We got it. We got this pay period. We got the next one. I believe on some of these, you know, bill outstanding bills, I can push them out. Like we've got a month and maybe in a month we can get this thing turned around. And truly, like you think about it, a merchant reserve release, those of you who don't know, like certainly back in the day when you would go and set up a, a merchant account to take credit cards online, if you were just selling online, they would hold back 10, 15% on a rolling basis. Yep. And then eventually if you have built up enough credit, they would release all that they had. And so we had 80 and we had not requested this. They didn't give us notice that it was coming. And it literally dropped in the bank. They had, they had sent the wire that day and it had shown up that morning when the banks opened. And so, yeah, that was the one. And, and you know, we kind of strung along by the skin of our teeth and did some promotions and some launches and, you know, made it work. But yeah, that was, I, there's been times where, you know, me and, you know, my team, we were on a razor's edge and we dove in and we made it happen. We made it work. 
this time was just literally, I mean, not literally, but money figuratively fell from the sky. And that bought us the time. That's awesome. Love it. I do a couple more things, Ryan. I, I think the one thing that we'd be remiss to not talk about is one of the things, I mean, you run a business that is complex, but you, you crave simplicity. And I think I forgot when this was, but you had this epiphany that if you can't write your business plan or business process on a napkin, like your business is too complicated. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Because I think it's a really important fundamental concept that you teach. Yeah. And I can tell you exactly when it was. It was, I believe it was February, March. I think it it was February, March of, of 2000. No, it was summer of 2006. There we go. Summer of 2006. I was at an event in Dallas, Texas. And one, one of the things like I'm a knucklehead, right? So I'm generally pretty good at building businesses and making money until recently, until like the last, you know, half a dozen or so years, I haven't always been good at keeping it right. So I would make (laughs) a lot of money and I would do something stupid and I would lose it. Whether that doing something stupid was not paying taxes because I didn't know I was supposed to, whether it was firing myself and hiring, you know, an incompetent, you know, CEO to come in, whether it was making a boneheaded investment in something like whatever, I was good at making it, not always good at keeping it. And that happened to me again, only this time, what, what, had, what had gone down is I was doing a lot of stuff with pay-per-click and SEO. And I was, I was maybe 20% pay-per-click and I was like 80% SEO. And then something happened, the Florida update. I don't know if you remember this, but this is basically when Google came, changed their algorithm. And overnight, all of those websites that I talked about, this is how I went from making, you know, $100,000 my senior year to being down to almost nothing. This was how, because overnight, all of them were de-indexed and gone. Wow. And so that happened, I think in 2004, 2005 was when the Florida update happened. Mm. And I spent the next couple of years saying, well, screw SEO. I'm just going to get really good at paid. And the way that I got really good at paid was by starting out being really bad paid advertising. <laughs> no way. And, Never happened and it was way. fine because back then, right, this was, you know, pre-financial collapse and all that other stuff. If you could fog a mirror, you could get an $80,000 line of credit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I had all these lines of credits at, you know, at banks, credit cards, everything like that. And, and that's how I was like, okay, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. I was never really looking to see how much money I was losing or anything like that. And finally I had it pretty much dialed in. Unfortunately, I was about a quarter million dollars in debt. Right. So I have this realization that, okay, I guess I kind of sort of have it figured out, but I've tried a half a billion different things, but now I'm a quarter million dollars in debt and I don't see a way out and I'm still overwhelmed. Like it's turned around. I'm, I'm profitable, but profitable just meant I was no longer losing lots of money. I wasn't digging myself, you know, out of this hole. So there I am now it's 2006. I've got, I got, you know, a wife, a mortgage and a brand new baby. That's how I know it was 2006 because my oldest son now was just crawling around at the time. And, uh, and yeah, I was sitting at, at, at the bar in, at this bar at the Hilton Anatole in Dallas, Texas, and just feeling really sorry for myself because God dang it, I figured it out. And now I was broke. You know, I was basically bankrupt. And, and I remember sitting there at this bar thinking to myself, I either need to figure out how to fix this or I need to just declare bankruptcy and try to get a job mm. because yeah. I can't be sitting on a quarter million dollars 
you know, worth of debt with, you know, this brand new house and this brand new baby, like it's time to be grown up. Like I can't take this kind of risk anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and it was kind of in that moment. I remember I'd had a conversation with a, with a buddy a couple of weeks before, and we were just talking. This is before I realized that my world, that I was a quarter million dollars in debt. And we were just talking and, and it was thinking like, isn't it funny how some of the best business ideas were just created on the back of a napkin. Mm-hmm. And we had like maybe a two minute conversation about it in that moment. It wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't a seminal moment. But for whatever reason, while I was sitting there, that conversation popped into my head and I looked up and I saw a stack of cocktail napkins. Again, nothing magical. I was at a freaking bar afterwards. <laughs> and I remember grabbing a cocktail napkin. I said, okay, this is it. I'm either going to write on this napkin how my business works before I go to... And if I can do that, then I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to work this, this napkin plan. And if I can't, then I'll wake up and I'm, I'm going to go begin the process of, of declaring bankruptcy. And I remember borrowing a pen, ordering another drink. And I said, yeah, giddy up, let's see if we can figure this thing out. And, and I did it. You know, I sat down there and it was pretty simple at this point in time. I was like, okay, what do I do? You know, I buy ads to a landing page where people opt in, where I then get them to purchase a relevant low ticket offer, where if they buy that, I then get them to purchase a higher ticket offer, where if they buy that, I'll get them to purchase an even higher ticket offer. And if they bail out anyway, I follow up with them via email. It was basically the first funnel that I had yeah. ever yeah. figured out, like the first yeah. kind of five-step funnel back in 2006. But for me, it was like, this is it. This yeah. is all I need to do. I need to figure out which one, because at this point I had a, like a couple hundred different websites. I was like, I need to distill it down to the ones that are already profitable, kill everything else and just do this. And that's what I did. And uh, for the next year, all... Every bit that I had went went to paying off that debt, and within twelve months, I was I was officially broke. It was great. I was uh, I had no money, but I was also debt free. Officially broke, and so got back to zero. Yeah, got back to zero. Now again, the way I got back to zero is I didn't pay taxes on any of that stuff. So the next year, now I owe money to the IRS. Different story. Uh, uh, again, these are all lessons, y'all. They don't teach you this stuff. No, when yeah. you're when you're an right. entrepreneur, nobody teaches you this stuff. That's why we're trying to. But but yeah, that that moment has stuck with me. And I still, to this day, like when we're working with clients, the first thing that I'll have them do is like, describe for me how customers happen for your business. And I want to encourage any listener right now, what action I'm do this. How does a customer happen? Mm. Just how does it, how does it occur? Yeah. And just think like, where does, where does the process begin? And then where does it end? And, and now I don't use napkins. They're kind of hard to write on, but, but we'll just use post-it notes and yeah. a whiteboard. Yeah. And it's like, where does it start? Well, you know, they, they see an ad. Or, you know, we, we, you know, we'll display it at trade shows or it doesn't really matter. How does somebody become aware of your existence? Okay, great. Write that on a post-it note, stick it there. Now, what's the final step in the process? Well, they buy this thing. Do you sell anything after? Yeah, I'll sell. Okay, so they buy this thing. So we got the end. So we got the beginning, we got the end. I go back to the beginning and say, okay, so they click this. Then what happens? Well, mm. then this happens. Okay, great. Let's write that on a post-it note. Cool. Then what? Then what? Then what? It depends. Okay, cool. I'm going to take the post-it note, turn it on an angle. Now we get a diamond. If, if they do this thing, it goes this way. If they do another one, it goes this way. That's why I love post-it notes. It comes in two shapes, squares and diamonds. And, and when we're done, it's like, there you go. We, have, we now have a visual representation of how customers happen. Mm. Now you can begin to optimize. Now you can begin to... When I was able to look and be like, this is how my business works, that changed everything. Hmm. And it still is the very first thing that we do. Now... Understanding how customers happen is the first step. Now we got to say, okay, how do we serve them once we got them? Let's do the same thing, but on the fulfillment side. Yeah. Let's do the same thing, but on the innovation side. And, and it's funny, everything that I do right now is, is basically hearkening back to that original napkin, but it is how do we visualize 
the value creation process. Because once you visualize, you can optimize. You can take it stage by stage and say, where's the machine broken? And, and so that's everything we do. And yeah, it does come back to that cheesy little napkin, which I still have framed back in 2006. Love it. I don't trust entrepreneurs or any business people, Ryan, that don't have stories like you do. I mean, yes. if you don't right. have if you don't have scabs, if you don't have bruises, if you don't have past trauma, I really don't want to work with you because you're destined <laughs> you're destined to have them and I don't really want to necessarily go that go through that with you again. But I, I generally have found, you know, we're, we're all in our middle age here. Like I found that the people that I most connect with and I most trust are ones that have gone through a little bit of trauma, if not a lot of trauma and have come out on the other side. And those are the people that I've stuck with, I trust, and I want to do business with. And Ryan, you're one of those guys. So I appreciate you being transparent with all those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you giving me opportunity platform to share a little bit of self-therapy. And if it helps someone maybe avoid just a little bit of this stuff, yeah. I do think yeah. there's something to write a passage, but I don't believe you have to go through everything that I went through. Some of it looking back was astoundingly avoidable if I knew just a 10th of what I know today and that it's why I joined that mastermind, right? It's mm -hmm. why I still invest in masterminds. It's why I still love, you know, masterminding with other entrepreneurs because figuring out answers to the things you don't know is relatively easy. Figuring out what you don't know is the hard part. Yeah. And, and that's the piece that, that I think you got to surround yourself with folks who have been there, done that and have the scars to prove it because they're the ones that are going to point out you're not thinking about this. And, and so, yeah, hopefully this cool. can be some place, some small part in, in, in that. Hey, Ryan, if you got two minutes, Brandon's got one last question. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah time for one it. more. Ryan, yeah, what we it. like to do here at the, at the top at the end is we call it the 60 second rant or soapbox. You get hmm. to rant about anything, anything at all. It could be that's lined at the Starbucks could be, politics, we kind of avoid that one, but whatever you want, lactation, you can rant about whatever you want to rant about. It's your soapbox. Go. Here it is. If you're an entrepreneur, if you can't take a 30 day vacation, you don't own your business. Your business owns you. And this is another lesson that I got to learn the hard way. Although it was the fun way. I, we had a vacation, a month long trip to Europe planned in 2020. It didn't happen. Got deferred <laughs> to 2021 happened again this summer. And I'll be honest with you, it was going to happen at a time when I kind of needed to be at work. But let me tell you this, my wife was having none of it. And my kids weren't <laughs> either. We were going on this trip. And so every entrepreneur out there plan, if you want to push it out, plan it out three to six months, fine, but get a 30 day vacation on the calendar, because a couple of things is going to happen. If you do this one, if you decide you're doing it, if you don't know where we're going, it's fine. You're going to begin planning today. How can you make that vacation happen to where you still have a business when you get back? Just that thought experiment is going to be incredibly helpful. But also when you are gone and you need to take this vacation, what you're going to find is you have such a reset of clarity, of priorities, of habits. We all get into these habits. And the only way we break habits is to stop doing it, to go on a fast, right? And, and so for me, I came back and got more work done the week after my vacation than I got done the months leading up to it because I... I I had this whole time to think about it. I didn't work at all on my vacation, but when I came back, it just burst forth. So for everything that it means leading up to it, for everything that it delivers after, and for you just being able to sit back and say, I don't, you know, my business doesn't own me. I own it. Every entrepreneur, at least once a year, take a 30 day vacation. Boom. Love it. Powerful. Thank That's you.
That's fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, Ryan, give us, give us some of the uh, resources that people should be looking at if they don't already know. I don't know how they don't know, but give us a scalable digital marketer. How, ca- how can they find out more? Yeah. I mean, if you're a six, seven figure entrepreneur wanting to scale to eight, scalable.co is, is your place. I've got lots of good free content there, including our uh, seven level scale playbook, free download. So yeah, but that's scalable.co.co. And then yeah, if you're a marketer or have marketers on your team, check out, check out digitalmarketer.com. Yeah. If they hadn't heard about it, they're crazy, but yeah, if you haven't get there, of course. Yeah. So and Ryan, come to traffic conversions in summit in September. Don't want to miss that. Yeah. Good back live. San Diego back live, back live. We got nice. some big announcement speakers coming. It's going to be a great show. So awesome. Excellent. Well, Ryan, thank you for being one of the good guys. We there's, there's been a lot of bad people in our industry over the years. You you've been one that's just been a breath of fresh air. Uh, genuine guy, humble, funny, and you've done a lot for this industry and uh, just appreciate you and appreciate what you've been able to share with the community, not only today, but over the years. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks guys. Appreciate your friendship. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd, a show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.